Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi. Serious. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. So welcome to High Theory. Thank you for having me. Today, I am here with Ulrich Baer, who's going to talk to us about witnessing. Can I ask you to introduce yourself? My name is Ulrich Baer. I'm university professor at New York University. I teach in the departments of comparative literature, German and English, and also in the Tisch School of the Arts. I teach photography, also a form of witnessing, actually. And I've written books on testimony, on poetry, uh, literature. That's really my original field, but also on photography and how photographs can document especially atrocity or catastrophic events. So tell us what the heck is witnessing? Witnessing is the way to observe or see an event, something that's happening. And that something, that event, is something that's contested or in question. It's not totally clear what it means because maybe it overwhelms our capacity to make sense of it because it's traumatic and so upsetting or so graphic or so stark or threatening for us ourselves that in order to represent it to others, to actually make sense of it both for ourselves and for others, we need to think of something that's not just documenting, talking about it, telling you about it. So witnessing is a shift from the way I can talk to you about something that happened to me or something I saw or observed walking down the street or even in the media to shifting how do I convey this to you and establish or create a possibility of address, of talking to you. Witnessing involves you as the speaking person or the subject in the effort to create an addressee, someone who's the listener or the recipient of that knowledge. So witnessing expands or changes the idea of just talking about something, let's say representation, to creating an address that maybe hadn't been there before. Witnessing seeks to emphasize the role of the witness and thereby involve whoever is receiving this information? Exactly. So if you think of documentary, which is really important, the representation documentary, let's think of journalism, really, really important, documenting world events or community events. And then you think of witnessing as more of a dialogue or an opening of the possibility of dialogue of exchange or the breakdown of that possibility. And when I was thinking about our conversation today, I was thinking there's so many events and the work that I really I'm referring to Shoshana Feldman and Dori Laub, who published a book in, I think, 1991 called Testimony, Crises of Witnessing in Literature, Psychoanalysis, and History. And they wanted to redefine the idea of trauma, of a traumatic event, as not 
limited to the area of psychology. It's not just psychologically devastating, disrupts the psyche, causes all sorts of suffering, PTSD, etc. But it's also a crisis of address. How do you speak from within an event of trauma to somebody else, which is then shift from a psychological, subjective, personal to a collective or political dimension? And when I was thinking about today, I was thinking what we've gone through in this country and for the world is, and I'll give you an example, and I, I really think of this as a question, not something I can really understand. The murder of George Floyd, which was seen by hundreds of millions of people around the globe, ultimately, through the media, but wasn't necessarily witnessed by everybody in the same way. So the distinction I'm interested in is there's something we all see, a horrific event drawn out, a murder of an African-American at the hands of a police officer. But how does that affect everybody who's seeing it? How does it involve them in that process where they just don't click away and say, well, that's terrible and awful, and I feel sorry, or I feel upset, but it doesn't touch me. So witnessing is the shift from hearing or seeing something in event to, oh, actually, I'm involved in the transmission, in the cultural production of meaning, in what this event actually means and signifies for more people than the people involved. Based on that example, do you think that there is a connection between witnessing and political action? I think, and that's why I want to keep it open as a question, because I don't think that I can make sense of this event yet because it has political repercussions around the globe and in our country, the, the reckoning with race, which is new for a lot of people and also not new at all for many people. So that's what I'm interested in when you're saying political. What's happening is that this event was seen in very different ways by different people. And these differences are where witnessing comes into play as a theoretical concept, because how do we make sense of the fact that millions of people saw this and a lot of people saw something different. So they're not all seeing the same thing. So what witnessing as a theoretical intervention does, it gets away from the kind of epistemological question of what's the truth of this event, what happened. It also gets away from the psychological question of what happened to the person who saw this, who suffered this, to this more political, like what does this signify for a collective that is maybe in total disagreement what witnessing opens up is for people to understand what happened over the summer and what happened in January 2021. Was it an insurrection, a riot, a peaceful protest, the rightful expression of political sentiment in the public sphere under sort of First Amendment protection? So those are really big disputes, as we know, where Black Lives Matter protests warranted important contributions to America's public discussion, or you turn to Fox News, they were riots, outrageous and unlawful. Dispute and interpretation goes back to how do you open up this space by not just saying, oh, it's all interpretation, everything is subjective, nothing matters. I think witnessing wants to keep the interpreting subject kind of in the game, so to speak. I think the word that becomes maybe important, as I said, address is responsibility. Great. So how do I use witnessing? A way to use this idea is to think, how are you as an observing subject, as somebody who just comes across something on a screen, you're flicking through your phone, there's this thing suddenly. Stop and think, how am I actually implicated in this story that may happen very far away from you, very remote, nothing to do with you. It's terrible and sad or awful or upsetting or contested, but I'm not part of this. Witnessing says, actually, you are being addressed by the crisis that this event triggers. So let's go back to the George Floyd video. And again, I want to pose it as a question, not as an answer. I'm not giving sort of this is the meaning of this. I'm saying that event actually challenges 
challenged a lot of people to think, oh, am I implicated in the way this is seen by other people? So how does it help us? It makes us think maybe twice and stop for a moment and say, oh, so my reaction isn't just my personal psychological reaction or who am I as a subject position? I'm this person, I'm that person, I'm a white American, I'm this and that. No, everybody's implicated because nobody yet knows what this trauma signifies. Meaning we know it happened. We know what it means for the people involved. But what it means for us together as a collective, the political question is opened up by witnessing. And I think that's a shift to a responsibility that we've seen in this country that a lot of people have said, oh, I could pretend I wasn't implicated in this. I could say this is this doesn't touch me. It's in the news. It's outside of my world. And somehow people have been able to alert a lot of people say, no, actually, you're implicated. Actually, you're part of this. This is kind of out of left field, but a thing you said suggested to me that there might be something at work that's like Althusser's idea of hailing, that yes. the video of George Floyd is hailing us right, right. to a collective action. So this idea by Althusser, this rereading of Hegel, so recognition, and he calls it interpolation, that you are called into your position, and let's use Althusser, complicated French theory. I think what you're referring to is that George Floyd called out the otherwise normative invisibility of whiteness in America, that whiteness is normalized as objective, as dominant, as American. And suddenly, not suddenly for lots of people, but suddenly for other people, they were interpolated, called out, saying, you actually are positioned in whiteness, which is a thing that structures the way we interpret American reality. So you're part of a paradigm that poses as natural. But what Althusser says, you're called out what he really meant, you called into your subject position. Freud would have said, you're woken up, which is kind of interesting that the idea of woke, but Freud uses this metaphor over and over. You're waking up because trauma is structured around repetition. You keep on waking up into reality. James Baldwin uses the same metaphor. He says, America is deliberately asleep and is in this kind of comatose state to its own subject position, which is important what you're saying, what Althusser says, you're woken up to yourself, not to George Floyd's terrible, unjust murder and suffering, but you're woken up to your own position, not to the other. So this is, I think, where Althusser is really interesting, to wake up to your own subject position, to be interpolated, to be appealed to, rather than, oh, okay, I'm still stable in my subject position. I now see this new thing. It's not you seeing new reality, but you're seeing yourself in a different way. Let's say unsettled or destabilized. And this is the second part to witnessing, maybe out of this disruption, this breakdown and collapse of what trauma causes, a new kind of witnessing can be born. How will witnessing save the world? I think it's an important question because in some ways what's at stake is the world as a shared experience or what Hannah Arendt calls politics is the way in which we negotiate our relations to others that constitute the world. So when you're saying save the world, we don't really mean the reality around us, all these people, the planet, etc. Like let's preserve it. That's not the question. Right? To save the world really means to improve the world and reinvent it. It doesn't mean saving the world. God help us, we do not want to save the status quo. So witnessing does something interesting because it does actually think, how do we achieve a culture of peaceful coexistence? How do you really go to acknowledge and admit the presence of others in the world on their own terms? This is the problem of politics in general. But I think how does witnessing save the world? It opens up the place to say, if somebody comes with a story that makes no sense to me from a place I've never experienced, based on knowledge background that 
that I have no access to. That changes me. That fact that that exists changes me. So saving the world would be, okay, so the world has to continually be opened up to these new perspectives and experiences. And then this opening up could be transformative for the people who are sort of in the status quo. We are transformed often against our own will. The event of George Floyd, really an event of historical importance. This event shifts what we think the shared world of America of race relation is. So how does witnessing save the world? It transforms it into a genuinely shared space. I like what you pointed out, that it forces us to question that term world and how we constitute it. The world is co-constituted by all of us, which is really a complicated thought, that actually there is no world. The world is the network of relations between us, and that includes the breakdown of relations between us. So the world is also the failure to communicate, the silences, the gap is... Yeah, I think the event of George Floyd's murder shows us very clearly how something that presents itself as a breakdown or a gap in the system might actually constitute that system. And recognizing that can reshape our understanding of communication more broadly and the world. This breakdown in itself deserves attention rather than very, which is understandable, kind of ready, glossing over, let's explain it. And we know we cannot explain it exclusively in legal terms or in terms of policing or in terms of justice. There's something here that speaks to us from a place that is really a place of trauma that not totally knowable. So I think what you're saying is that the breakdown could generate some new forms of knowledge. There, I'm, I'm hoping there could be something productive in a way that people could then co-create a reality or co-constitute. It's the call for accountability that everybody plays a role in this. Everybody is kind of, as you said, interpolated in this Althusserian sense into their own subject positions. What testimony or witnessing theory does, it reframes trauma as the collapse of the knowing subject and the emergence of a new form of witnessing. Well, I think that might be an excellent note to end on. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music. And Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.